Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What I'd like to try and do tonight is bridge the gap between uh, last Sunday and next Sunday, um, connecting sort of where, where we've been lately, um, and obviously we were kind of, kind of ramping up to Easter. But now, if we just kind of keep that momentum going, um, when we do when we celebrate baptism next week, I think it'll um, just really have a nice nice progression to it. And so, First um, Corinthians 15 is all about uh, bodily resurrection. Um, can the dead be raised? And um, in you know the letter to the church in Corinth, uh, some of it uh, Paul was writing to this church to address some things he wanted to address. And some of it he was writing because they had written him a letter and they had some questions. And it's pretty much uh, agreed that um, being raised from the dead was something that kind of freaked him out. Go figure, right? Um, It was something that they either didn't believe was possible um, or they didn't think it happened to Christ or they didn't necessarily understand what that meant for them. And so they either didn't believe in it or they just didn't understand it fully, and they had some questions, and, and Paul, uh, was he was the go-to man. He was the one who had uh, really just invested in them and shaped them, and, and so um, that's what you do when you don't have questions about something. You find somebody that you trust, and you ask them, and so that's what they had done. And so he here is addressing... Uh, this you know sort of controversy sort of misunderstanding and it's a really big deal it's a really big deal to to them it's a really big deal to us that we understand uh, the significance of Jesus being raised from the dead and how that is not just an an Easter Sunday um, important truth uh, it's just like uh, the incarnation just like the Christmas story is not it doesn't just make a difference in our lives at you know during Advent it's every day. It's all the time. And the resurrection of Christ is the same way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through um, not all of this chapter, uh, but, but a good, pretty good chunk of it, and just kind of pull out a, a few things that I think will help us uh, bridge from where we've been lately to next Sunday when we, uh, when we celebrate baptism together. So let's look, at, let's look at chapter 15, starting verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Right now, he says in accordance with the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's basically saying, just like just like the Old Testament scripture said he would, he died according to our sins. So he's, he's connecting, connecting these ideas to them, uh, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the one that you've been waiting on. And so he's kind of saying, uh, you know, he died for our sins just, just like he said he would. All right. Um, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be, be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Okay? Now, it's incredibly significant that he runs through that list of, of all the people who were eyewitnesses to uh, the resurrected Christ. So you're talking over 500 people saw him alive after many of them saw him be killed and buried. Now all these witnesses, that's a, that's a pretty big deal because um, you know, an eyewitness testimony in a court of law is pretty solid if the, if, you're, if the witness is credible. Well, here you have over 500 witnesses Surely some of the, some, at least, you know, some in the 500 are credible. And then when you consider the fact that many of those 500 were persecuted for their belief in Christ, many were killed because of it, all the apostles were killed because of it. Um, when someone comes and says, oh, you know, the, the resurrection of Christ was just, it was just made up by the apostles to further their cause and to try, for them to try to get you know, powerful and all this kind of stuff. Um, the wheels come off of that argument when you consider the fact that they were tortured and killed because, I mean, who's... You, you don't let yourself get tortured and killed for something that you just made up for kicks. And then when there are 500 eyewitnesses that saw him alive, what Paul is doing is he's building a, a pretty solid case. And really the implication is, if you don't believe me, just go ask one of the over 500 people that saw him alive. Some people don't believe there's resurrection from the dead. Some people don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. But I'm telling you that both are true, and there are hundreds and hundreds of witnesses who saw it. So just go ask them. Most of them are still alive. Some are dead. Most are alive. So that's how he, he begins. He's saying, okay, this is legit. This is why. Lots of witnesses, and everything happened just like the Scriptures said it would. So then he gets into it a little bit. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And, and here's a part of where I want us to zero in a little bit. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people, most to be pitied. Look back at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. 
The resurrection of Christ um, is the Father's stamp of approval on the atonement that happened on the cross. Okay? So, Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, lives a sinless life, lives a life full of example and of teaching, and he lays the groundwork and invests in these disciples to carry on the church and lives, lives the life that we're supposed to pattern our lives after. No sin, um, put to death. Uh, we talked about this, about this a few weeks ago, the substitution. So in the Old Testament, they would you know, they'd bring the animals in and they would put their hand on the animal and transfer the sin from the person to the animal. Um, so then Jesus comes in and he then is the animal. Um, and perhaps, I mean, perhaps the beating that he took, maybe that was the physical transfer symbolically. I mean, who knows? Um, but he, uh, all the sin put onto him, his blood shed, um, there's forgiveness, all of the wrath of God poured onto him instead of onto us. Um, everything that needed to happen for, to make things right were done. And Jesus, at the end of his life, says, it is finished. And when he says it is finished, what he is saying is, all the wrath is, is absorbed, all the sin has been put on me, the, com- the price has completely been, been paid, um, it's done. There's nothing left to do. And he dies. Three days later, when he shows up and he's alive, that is God the Father's way of saying, I accept the sacrifice. And Jesus says it is finished. And God the Father says, yes, it is, and raises him from the dead. It says right there, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then you're still in, our, you're still in your sins. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then the atoning sacrifice of his life didn't work. It wasn't enough. It was, he was no different than all those lambs and bulls and goats that had been slaughtered all throughout the Old Testament. And he died for nothing. So if he didn't, if there was no resurrection, like it says, our faith completely in vain. But he did. And because he did, we can come into places like this or sanctuaries in Monclova, Mexico, or all around the world, and Christians can come together and gather and sing songs about grace and mercy and rescue and faithfulness and newness of life, and we can baptize people next week, and we can, I mean, everything is completely possible because Jesus is raised from the dead. We are not in our sins anymore the atoning sacrifice that he offered up was accepted by the Father, and we know that because he's alive, and he showed up, and he went to Peter, and he went to all the disciples, and he went to 500 more people, and he went to James, and he went to all of them, and he showed up to Paul, and over and over and over again, he keeps saying, I'm alive. That means it worked. It's approved. You ever been in line at Walmart or Target or somewhere and you aren't sure how much money you have and you swipe that card through there and you're kind of crossing your fingers? Approved. (laughs) That's why Kristen Wiig's character on Saturday Night Live when she's the Target lady is so funny because I've had 
cashiers, like, really get excited for me, you know, like, good job, you know, thank you. It's approved. And I'm not saying that there was a gamble. I'm not saying there was a risk. I'm not saying that maybe Jesus wouldn't have been enough. But I think sometimes in the back of our minds, we kind of wonder. We wonder if all of our sins have really been forgiven and atoned for. Or we look at somebody else and we say, okay, I can see how that person's life really isn't, isn't, not nearly as bad as mine, so I can understand how Jesus' death was enough for them, but we tend to make ourselves this exception to things sometimes. Or we have those doubts, and doubts are not bad. But sometimes we wonder, like, is it all really done? Are my sins really atoned for, really forgiven? Is there really new life? Um, and sometimes we, we start looking at the, maybe the lack of fruit in our lives, or we look and we see, like, I haven't really changed as much as I want to. And instead of us, you know, sometimes thinking that, well, that must mean the deficiency is on my end of the deal, you know, we kind of think, well, maybe Christ didn't really do all that. We had this enemy, he loves to whisper those things like, yeah, you know, if you were really saved, then you wouldn't still battle this or struggle with this or whatever. You look around, everybody else, they all have it, they have it together, you know, you're a wreck. So maybe you're not really saved, or maybe Jesus isn't, didn't really, didn't really, you know, get the job done or whatever. Or maybe you, in conversation with people, maybe, maybe that's one of the things that they, just one of their really big hang-ups is, yeah, but, I mean, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been, or how bad I've, I've had it, or you don't know the mistakes I've made, and all this kind of stuff. And no matter what objection we come up with, whether it's within our own hearts and minds, or or we're engaging with culture and the questions they have, every single one of them, for us as believers, is where does the truth lie? comes down to the fact that because Jesus was raised from the dead, and hundreds of people saw him, and many of those people went to their graves and were killed because they refused to deny it, um, and it was passed on and passed on and passed on, and we're here today. All that is because he is alive. And so we can sing the song, All That Really Matters. We can sing, you alone can rescue. We can sing, a mighty fortress is our God. We can sing those things because we've experienced those things. And it's all because God says, I accept the sacrifice and I'm going to raise this life from the dead. It's awesome. And so that's, that's a pretty huge way that the resurrection plays into our everyday lives. Because if he wasn't alive, we'd still be in our sin. We'd just be kidding ourselves. This whole church thing would just be a farce. But he lives. And that's what he goes on to say in the, in the next paragraph. But in fact, look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man is also, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We're born in Adam, we're born in death. If you are in Christ, if you are saved, if you are a Christian, you are now in Christ. 
you have crossed from being dead to being alive. And what, what we see here is there's a, there's a pattern with what happened to Christ that our lives fall into. Both in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. So in a physical sense, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we, we have questions about, you know, what happens when you die? Or uh, especially like when, um, when you do, when you lose somebody and you go through that grieving process, a lot of times that's what you're wondering is, you know, where are they now? What happens, what happens to us when we pass away? Well, we can look at Christ and we can see that there's a pattern there. That he died, abandoned his physical body, and went to be with the Lord. So physically, that's a pattern that we see, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So um, in the midst of whatever grieving process we're going through, or just thinking about your own life, uh, we fall in that pattern with Christ. It says he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Where is it? Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. First fruits, those were the, it was the first part of the crop that you pulled out. Um, and you could tell... Uh, how good the crop was going to be and what it was going to look like based on those first fruits. So if you have acres and acres and acres of wheat, you pull out this first part and you're able to say, is this going to be a good crop or is this not going to be a bad crop or whatever. It was a pattern for the whole rest of it. And it's not a coincidence that the first fruits were also what you sacrificed. The first fruits were a pattern of what is to come. So physically, we can see, okay, I'm... We're going, to, we're going to die. We're going to go to be with the Lord. But, but that resurrection is in our future. So when you pass away, your life is not over with. And that was a big, big point of confusion to the church in Corinth because at that time they weren't, you know, there were some who thought that when you died, like that, that was completely it. And others thought that, that when you died physically, you kind of went to exist in this weird spiritual or whatever, and it was caught up in all these different kinds of uh, belief systems and whatever. And so what he's saying is, okay, same thing happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to you. So you die physically, but you're going to live forever physically with God in heaven. But then there's a spiritual side of things as well. So when, next week when we baptize, Supposed to be, it's supposed to be like a snapshot, like a picture of what happens. So when the, when the person gets into the water, that's, that's like the, the, old, the old person, the in-Adam person. It's to represent how, how you're born, born into sin, born separated from God, um, born in, created, created in his image, but that image has been distorted. And so then the preacher says some stuff. And then when you go to immerse them, that is supposed to be that person identifying themselves with Christ. So Christ died and was laid in, in a tomb. And so when you go underneath the water, that's, that's the tomb. You're going into the tomb with Christ. That is your symbolic death. When you're born in Adam, life is all about you, and it's your life and your money and your time and your career and your family and your job and your, your car, your house, your everything. Your schedule, your agenda, you do what, you, what feels right, what you want to do, and just completely s- just driven by self. What, you're, what the person who gets in that water is saying is, 
that person is completely dead. Born dead. Trying to live, but really dead. But I'm identifying myself with Christ, and that was all put onto him. He was he died and was put down into the tomb. So you put them out in the water, and when you bring them back up, what does the, what does the preacher always say? Raised to walk in newness of life, right? That comes from Romans 6. We're going to just throw these verses up here real quick. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Um, so do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, okay? So you're, that person's in the water, you're saying, I'm identifying with his death, and you go down into the water, saying, that's me, I died with Christ. Next verse, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when you come back up, Jesus was raised to walk in new life, we are raised to walk in new life. That's a spiritual pattern of what happens in our lives. Look in, this is in Colossians 2. Um, it says something similar. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we see this pattern in Jesus' life dead and buried, raised again to walk in new life. That's your life. Dead, buried, raised to walk in new life. Next week, everybody that gets in that pool, it's supposed to remind us and remind us and remind us that all of us who are not being baptized are supposed to be able to look at that, and if you are in Christ, you're supposed to be reminded of what you have been saved from. Every single time you're supposed to say, I used to be dead, but I, was, I died with Christ and was buried, and now I'm raised to walk a new life. We're gonna, it'll be like 10 people next week. So 10 times we should be reminded of our own story next week. And also, the people who are being baptized, that is their public profession. They're getting up in front of their community and saying, um, I, I am dead. I, my life is not my own. Christ has called me to come and to die in him and to be raised to walk in new life. And they're professing that to their friends and to their community and to their family. They're also stepping into um, the history of the church where for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years people have, have participated in this same, um, this same ordinance. Jesus did it. Hundreds of years people have done it. Some would do so and come out of the water and immediately be arrested, killed sometimes. At tremendous cost, believers have been baptized for hundreds of years. And so they're also stepping into the history of the church. They're also stepping into this church and the life of this church. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal, but that's a pattern that was established by Christ. We identify with what happened to him. And we see, we see that visibly, and it should connect with something inside of us. What happens in baptism is not, I mean, there's nothing supernatural that goes on. In that moment, grace is not transferred to that person. They're not actually saved in that moment. It's like a wedding ceremony where the, you don't go to a wedding and watch the couple fall in love. They've already fallen in love, hopefully, right? They've already fallen in love. What you're watching, you're watching the public vows that they make. They're getting up in front of all their friends and all their family, and they're saying, he's saying, I will be 
the most accurate picture of Christ you ever see. And she's saying, I will reciprocate that. And they're both saying, this is never going to work without, without Christ and the power of God at work in our lives. And all those groomsmen, all those bridesmaids are there to, to say, we're going to help be covenant enforcers. That if you don't walk this out, we're going to be there to sit you down and we're going to be your prophets. And we're going to tell you what's up. So there's significance in the ceremony, yes. There's significance in the baptism. It's supposed to mean something, but it's supposed to carry an appropriate amount of, of weight. We're celebrating what God has already done. And so there's a pattern. We see the physical pattern that Christ is the first fruits. So we, we see what's going to happen to us um, one day. Uh, we see what is, has happened to others as we go through grieving processes. Or if you think about friends and family and grandparents who have already gone to be with the Lord, that's where that phrase comes from. Um, we see it physically. We see it spiritually when we are saved. But it also, it also fits into like everyday life as well. Because him being the first fruits and that, that death and burial and resurrection, there's something to be said for the continual bringing about of new life. The fact that dying to self, I mean, it, it happens when you respond to the pursuit of Christ and you realize that you need a Savior and that he's the one. Uh, it happens there, and that's what you celebrate in baptism, but there's a death to self that happens constantly for us. So Bonhoeffer said, said any time Christ calls a man, it's a, it's a call to come and to die. And so really, we're, we're talking about also this daily death. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following him. This pattern that is not just a one-time thing in your life, but basically that one-time deal has started you on a daily pattern of death and resurrection, resurrection, death and resurrection, death and resurrection, over and over and over again. But that's what my life should be like. That's what your life should be like. Now, it's not daily in the sense that we get saved every day in the same way we did the first time. But now it's us learning how to walk in that newness of life. Look at the end of look at the end of the chapter. Starting in verse 50. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable in- inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last moment, I'm sorry, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So it's talking about when Jesus comes again and uh, comes to get us and all this, this kind of stuff. Uh, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Victory to us through Christ. See, there is nothing in life that we experience more permanent than death. I think that's a part of what makes the grieving process so painful. You just can't do anything about it. You can't reverse it. Lots of things in life we can reverse. If you get yourself into a bind financially, there are ways out of it. Um, Not saying that those ways are easy. Not saying that they're quick. But, I mean, you can pay off your debts. It just might take working extra jobs and it may take a, a lot of work, but I mean, it's fixable. If, you, if you're a college student and you don't like the class that you're in, you just drop it, right? Or don't go. Or just make a D. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you sign a 12-month lease and after six months y'all want to move somewhere else, you just break the lease and pay a little fine or something, whatever. And there are lots and lots of marriages that don't really go the way that people think they do, and so a lot of people's, you know, a lot of people divorce. Couples date and it doesn't work out, so you break up. I mean, it's, there's all kind of stuff that is fixable. And there are plenty of times, too, when, when things maybe don't go the way you think they do, but, but good stuff comes out of it, you know. But death, is, is, that's exceptional for us. There's nothing you can do about that. You just, you just get through it. You grieve. You mourn. You turn to your community to help you through it. But God... He overcame death. I mean, the most unchangeable thing that we can really wrap our minds around, he overcame that. So if he can fix death, he can fix your problems. Whatever whatever it is. I think sometimes we look at at things and we're like, okay, um, I've, I've got myself in a mess. And there's that part of us that's like, even God can't do this. Or he probably doesn't want to because he's mad at me because I shouldn't have done it or whatever. And somehow that gets twisted into us really kind of believing that God can't do something. He overcame death. He overcame death. So he can fix your little problem. He can fix your big, huge you know, problem that nobody else understands. Worst thing, most devastating thing it's ever had. It it is nothing to him because he fixed death. That's a pattern for us. Raised to walk in newness of life. That we look at things sometimes and we think, okay, I've, I've struggled with this sin issue for so long, I can't even remember 
existing without it being a problem. To the point where I'm just so callous, I just accept it. It's just part of, of life. And I'm just going to have to just apologize to him when I get to heaven and say, my bad, I, I'm sorry. And to that, I think Jesus says, I fixed death. I can fix that. I can heal that. If you've struggled with, with lying, with gossip, with lust, with image issues, with anger issues, with, I mean, there's not a single thing I can list that is bigger than death. If he can conquer death, he can heal whatever is going on with you, whatever your past looks like, whatever the pain that is there. In our community groups the last couple of weeks, we've been asking you to share things about your life that you may not be 100% comfortable with. And some people did, and some people still didn't want to, and it's all, it's all fine. But God is continuing to unearth some things and for him to say, look, just, just think of, let me heal you. I overcame death so you could walk in new life, but you just kind of like death a lot. When we were at, we were at Passion, the, the theme for it was, was awakening. And so, I mean, every song, every sermon, everything had to do with the basically come down and saying, like, only God can raise a life. And Louis Giglio was preaching, and he was talking about um, the, for those who are Christians, like, I mean, you, you, you walk in newness of life, like, you've been saved, but when it comes to those daily deaths, there, there are things in, in life that, that have just grown, uh, grown dead, that doesn't make sense, that have become, like, those areas of, of just death, where there's no progress, there's, I mean, you, you just have, accepted the fact that this is just going to be this way. And he was looking at the story of Lazarus, and uh, so Lazarus, has, he's been dead for four days, and Jesus shows up, and he's in the, in the tomb, there's a stone there, whatever, and Jesus comes up, and I never read this, or never paid attention to this before, and Jesus says, move the stone, and the women say, uh, yeah, but he's been dead for four days, and there's bound to be a really bad odor. And Jesus says something brilliant, of course, and then they move the stone. And Louis said, he was like, you know what? He said, Jesus is not afraid of what's behind the rock. He's not afraid of how bad it may stink. There's not a single thing in, in life that he looks at and he's like, ooh, I don't really want to mess with that. Oh, I don't know if I can touch that. I don't really know if we can do anything with that. You've screwed that up too much and it's just not going to work. That every single time Jesus says, move the rock. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus is alive. And we know that he is alive. And because he is alive, we are no longer in our sins. And we have died with him and have been raised to walk in newness of life. But sometimes that life is not abundant. It's not the life that he died for us to walk in. And again, it comes down to us. We, we keep these little things for ourselves sometimes. And we, these areas of life that we like to pretend like they're not a problem. Because he is alive, victory is ours in those areas. But what it's, it's going to take us just manning up sometimes. And I know I've said a lot of these things before, but I think 
I don't know about you, but I have to hear something like 200,000 times apparently before I really starts to sink in. But I, God, I think he's really saying like, let me heal this. Let, let's deal with this. You need, this needs to die. And I need to be the one to raise it up anew. I need you to let me heal you. And I think it's going to come down to sometimes us just saying, absolutely. Just, just say yes. I mean, whatever it takes. And sometimes that means that, that sometimes that healing, okay, always that healing is going to involve your community. And I think sometimes that's why we like to keep that stone covering things up, because we don't want to tell people what's going on. We don't want to sit our friends down and say, hey, I've got a struggle that I'm, I've got to talk to you about because I need your prayer and accountability and support. We say, hey, I've been acting like things are okay for a long time, and I've completely had you fooled because I'm not doing okay. For a married couple to sit down with another married couple and say, look, our marriage is struggling, and we don't have a clue what to do. Sometimes it's about going and making an appointment with a counselor and going to sit down and say, I need you to disciple me in this because I have no idea how to deal with these wounds. I mean, I don't know what it's, it's going to take. But I think, I think God is just continuing just to whisper to the Rand Community Church, and I mean every church, absolutely, but for us specifically, and say, only I can raise a life, and I want to raise this. I want to awaken this. I want to move that rock because I'm not afraid of what it is. I'm alive. I've overcome death. I can fix your struggle. Let me heal you. Just come on. And I think we have to look at this verse. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And I think we have to say, I'm tired of living in defeat. And I'm tired of, although he's raised me from the dead, I'm tired of just laying back down in the tomb. So I don't know where it fits into your life. As always, I, that's, I know where it fits in my life. So I'm responsible for that, and you're responsible for you. And we're going to sing a little bit and see what God has for us, and we're going to be done. But I know it's not a random, this is not a random gathering. No matter why you came here tonight, it's not random. Let me pray for us. God, uh, it's, it's such a humbling, humbling truth for us to try and just wrap our minds around that you would, you would come to the earth and live this life and be our sacrifice and our substitute and that that death was approved and accepted. And that means that our, we're not in our sins anymore, that, we, that on that day we died as well. When your body went in that tomb, our bodies went in that tomb as well. And when you were raised, we were raised. And every single day, you invite us to come and die, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. And to live as you would live, to literally go about our day 
the way that you would. Humbling God that you would say, let me heal this, let me fix this. And the things that you call us to do as a part of that, that you just, you, you guarantee us that you will empower us and you give us everything we need because of your presence. And in the things where we have to step out there, yeah, you want us to step, but you're the one who makes the step possible. So, Father, I mean, for everyone in this room, I pray that we would, you'd bring us to a point where we're just ready to say yes to your offer to heal and restore and awaken and bring things to life in us again. wouldn't believe the lie that that you're afraid of what's behind the rock that we would believe the truth that your grace is sufficient for us that your power is made perfect in our weakness God as we spend these few moments in Just silent prayer, God. Would you speak to each of us how this connects with where we are? In a minute, God, as as this song is sung over the room, I pray, God, that you would just use these words to speak to our hearts.